In a world where it seems totally normal to listen to a podcast about the Toronto Argonauts, it's the X's and Argos podcast. Welcome to the X's and Argos post-game reaction podcast brought to you by Funny Bone Broth. My name is Ben Grant, joined as always by JB as the Toronto Argonauts escape with a 2019 win over the Montreal Alouettes in their season opener. JB, a uh, win's a win, I guess? Yeah, I, I think uh, I think that's probably the, the correct phrase. I, I didn't think the Argos stole the game. Um, you know, I, I thought that they were deserving winners and I, I felt if they had lost, they would have blown the game. So in the end, I, 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 you know, it was a lucky, it was definitely a lucky break. But uh, I think on the whole, they deserve the win. The Argos should have won by 20. If you go back and look through all of the missed opportunities, the Argos defense played outstanding football for about two and a half quarters. And then slowly Montreal started to get some momentum and the Toronto offense just couldn't cash in. And that was what this was about tonight. Four rouges. Now we needed them because we won by one of those rouges, but you just, you can't have four rouges in a game. That's just not, especially now this year of all years where a rouge brings the ball up to the 40 instead of the 35, where there's so many negative consequences to throwing away those points. So they they should have won easily, but really those last few plays, I, I didn't think there was any way uh, that they were going to win. It was a chip shot field goal at the end that Montreal misses down by two points at the time. It's, it just, it really feels like a, a stolen victory to me. Let's talk about uh, some of the, uh, you know, I guess how the game went down. We'll talk about some of the players, some of the conversation points, and there's a lot of them that we want to get to. But before we get to that, a quick shout out to Chris Belenovich uh, of the Toronto Argonauts, who had us in front row seats in the press box. JB, that was that was the best place in the world to watch a football <laughs> game from. Uh, it was delightful. Uh, windows open. Uh, I could get the full sound of the crowd and... Uh, you know, a pretty a pretty damn good football game for, uh, you know, in parts. And the only negative is that we weren't able to see any replays. So some of the stuff, some of our analysis, it you know, we may have to change some of our thoughts after we rewatch the game and take a look at some of those replays. But seeing it live, I just thought we could see the whole field extremely well. So, yeah, I had a lot of uh, got a lot of out of tonight's game, I felt. So let's get to the game itself. Uh, it It couldn't have opened much better. So first of all. Montreal takes the kickoff. Were you? Was there any part of you that was worried Chandler Worthy was going to oh, take that opening kickoff? A hundred percent. Because I wasn't really thinking about it until the ball actually was in the air, and then it occurred to me that they were kicking the Worthy, and this guy's probably going to run a touchdown down our throats to open the game. Um, after that, it was fine. But yeah, while that ball was in the air on the opening kickoff, um, I definitely had visions of him breaking uh, a touchdown. But uh, luckily... Um, he was still Chandler worthy when he caught the ball. Yeah, and it, it didn't come back to haunt us. But yeah, I had that same thought because it didn't occur to me either. And as the ball's in the air, I heard you say, is that worthy back there? And I took a look and sure enough, it was worthy. And we both had that same thought. But yeah, uh, it was covered well. Defense forces, it's just a, a beautiful two and out. It just set the tone so nicely. And that's why I was so disappointed in what happened next to the offense because that defense... Uh, first of all, it's a, it's a beautiful run stuff. They crowded the line of scrimmage. Oakman gets in there, blows up a run play. And that was something that would sort of continue all night. And then on the second play, Hendricks gets in there with a sack. 
of Vernon Adams and Montreal's punting the ball away. Toronto takes the ball all the way down the field, has a first and goal from the 10 situation and everything goes wrong. First of all, the line allows a free blitzer through the middle. I don't know quite what happened there. I don't know who missed their assignment, but the ball had to be thrown away. And then on second down, McLeod Bethel-Thompson threw what looked like an interception intended for Cam Phillips. Uh, it was fortunately for the Argos was overruled. From our vantage point, it looked like a pick. But yeah, there's one angle you can see where the ball does hit the ground indeed. And so that got overturned. The Argos end up kicking a field goal. I asked McLeod Bethel-Thompson about that play after the game because it just looked weird to me. I, like Right when he released the ball, it, it was sort of like, you know, where, where are you throwing? Because there was... A Montreal DB standing right there. And what happened on that play, he he was really upset at himself. He says it's going to be one of those plays that he thinks about all night because he read the defense correctly, but not really the alignment. And he, he sort of criticized himself for not going, you know, not looking at the coverage outside in. He, you know, he found the safety. He sort of did all those first steps. He read man. And he's got a concept that I believe, again, not having seen replay, but I believe Phillips had a deep out. And I believe Curly Gittins Jr. had a spot route, just basically, you know, stopping. And McLeod saw a man right away and he saw Phillips beat his guy to the outside. And so he just threw it up into a space that he felt Phillips could easily get to. What he didn't account for is that the corner who was over top of Gittins Jr. was playing soft, which he acknowledges he knew all week he would. And that was something they prepared for. So he was way off and it just ended up being an easy ball in theory to that corner. It was just standing there waiting for that pass to come down. Yeah, so I mean, it was terrible. Um, He did not have a good game. Um, He ended up with decent stats, but... The eye test, it was not a good game for somebody who you would like to be the leader of the team. Um, and this is an ongoing issue. I mean, I you know, I, I do like my ongoing issues, but he, he has to get more efficient in the red zone. Um, he is dangerously close to, to being a 2020 quarterback who can move up and down the field but can't do anything. Uh, when he gets down there, I mean, it's it's a problem. He he, it's I don't know if it's in his head, but you know, it's just it's not great. So like that that kind of play today, like the, what should have happened is a touchdown, dominating defense. We go on and we win by fifteen. Um, so that was that was disappointing. I mean, he's far enough along in his career and his development that uh, you know that that blown pass. I mean, I'm glad that he feels bad, but. I mean, we're, we're kind of past that, aren't we, really? We are, uh, but you're still learning from it. And, you know, he just wishes he had hit Curly Gittins Jr. right away and he feels he would have gotten a touchdown. And, you know, he knew that basically when the ball left his hand. But, yeah, that's it doesn't change anything. So it is, it's frustrating. Now, what I thought McLeod Bethel-Thompson did do well today is, and it's something he always does well, and I don't think he gets enough credit for this, He he took a ton of hits tonight. And he stood in the pocket again and again. And I don't know, I don't know how a human being can program themselves to do that. When you get like crushed, he got he got annihilated a bunch of times tonight. And yet on the very next passing play, he doesn't have happy feet. He's not rushing the throw. Uh, you know, he's not he's not cowering or or scared back there. He still stands in there, takes another hit, and gets the ball out. 
then I asked him about, you know, how how you have that mentality. And he basically just said it's something he just had to accept. He's not a running quarterback. And so he's just going to have to learn to take hits in the pocket. But I just think that's an ability most people don't have. Yeah, I mean, he showed the things that make him, um, you know, likable and, cheer, you know, easy to cheer for. You know, he's he's tough as nails. There's no doubt about that. He he stands in the pocket. Um he he does have drives like the drive to start the second half where he's dialed in and and really looks like a leader um i guess it's what makes it so frustrating is when you have these other drives where you know it, it's just like it's like his you know his um he just loses focus or i'm not sure what happens but he just makes these decisions where you're like, what, what, what is happening here? Why, why would he possibly make that throw? And so, you know, a bunch of times tonight, he's got throws he needs to get rid of out of his arsenal. And the play callers need to, you know, I think the play caller still doesn't fool. I don't think there's a, a great or a, I won't say great. It's a decent relationship, but I don't think they totally get each other yet. I, I don't think the game is being called to maximize what he does. And I, I think that that also needs to improve a little bit. I think there has to be a little better understanding about what he's going to do. I thought like I thought those inside slant stuff in the second half was way better. Um but I don't know. I'm not I'm not crazy about all those wide throws just because he's got the arm to do it. I you know I felt he threw wide like fifteen times in a row. That, that's that's no good. It was also a, a weird set for him to work out of, and we're kind of getting off off track of our, our little recap here, but that's fine. We can work our way through it this way. They ran so much, so many tight end sets tonight, more tight end sets tonight in this game than they did all last season. Without tight ends. Without, And that's the thing. They only dressed one fullback. I mean, fullback tight end is basically the same thing in the CFL. They don't really have true tight ends. But Declan Cross was the only guy they had dressed. Last year, every single game, they just dressed three, except for week 10 against Ottawa, they dressed four. And they'd never used them. They never they never got on the field in offense, so rarely. And tonight, they kept going to it. They were doing double tight end sets with Isaiah Wright. And I asked Coach Dinwiddie about that, that plan, and he basically said it was a combination of things that they saw based on film of, of Calgary-Montreal last week. And what they had in Andrew Harris in in the running game that he wanted to be able to put tight ends in there. And he just simply didn't have healthy tight ends to be able to do that with. Carbone's banged up. Um, He's a practice roster guy. And he felt like Isaiah Wright could fill that void and, you know, did fairly well considering he's a receiver now playing tight end. But I wonder if McLeod Bethel-Thompson feels fully comfortable. He hasn't played with, with, with double tight throwing passes. It's just not part of his game. No, it, it, you know, I, I, it's not easy. Like he, he's he's talented, but he's not a star. So like it's tough. I think it's a tough it's a tough thing for them to figure out how how to maximize him because when you do maximize him, he is good enough to win a great cup. But how you get to that point, they they don't seem to have yet. Let's talk about the defense a little bit because the next few series, the defense, so they end up settling for a Boris Beattie field goal, 17-yard field goal. I hate 17-yard field goals. 3 nothing Argos. The Argos force another punt. 
Toronto gets the ball back and yeah, Thompson. They also forced Montreal to punt on Vernon Adams as their starting quarterback. Yes, that also happened. We'll get to that in a minute too. And uh, Bethel Thompson throws an interception. Uh, it was a drag route that came really late, gets tipped off Daniel's hand, um, ends up getting picked off by Williams. Initially, I thought he returned it for a pick six, but they ruled him down on the, again, the tightest of of calls. But both of those replays going in favor of the Argos. It's got to be so frustrating for a defense, though, because they, they get back out there. Montreal's already in field goal range, and, of course, they kick a field goal, and um, and it's 3-3 now, and, and the defense has played lights-out football, and it's tied 3-3. It, it's got to be frustrating considering how well they were playing. Yeah, I mean, for sure. There's no doubt that the defense felt uh, worn down by the end of the game, and, and you know, that that's going to be a dynamic as well. Like you, you ideally want both sides of the ball to feel complementary, and not that one side is 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 doing the majority of the work. So again, that goes to trying to get um, you know Macbeth back on schedule. You know, trying to to get some drives going. You know, um, really try and be more efficient with the ball so that you're not in a position where the defense is out there desperately trying to hold off Montreal with no gas left in the tank. In you know, everybody knows that they should never have been in that position. That You know, that game should have been home and dry. It, they, they were clearly, like Toronto was clearly the better team, but they just couldn't, yeah, they, they just couldn't find a way to capitalize. So that quarter basically ends with, a Toronto Rouge. And I want to set this up and ask you about this play. So the ball is at right at midfield. It's third and six. They bring in uh, Haggerty to punt, John Haggerty to punt, uh, not the safety. Uh, he punts a 62-yard ball that goes into the end zone, uh, just goes into the end zone uh, for a Rouge. Third and six at the 54. Is punting the right move in that situation, a 3-3 game? Um, no, in a word. Uh, but look, they've got this new toy and he's got a skill set that they like and that they think can be useful in the, the new league with the rules about the punting and that he might be able to, you know, to basically cough and kick, um, you know, punts and nail people down to the one or the two. I, I don't object to that idea, especially the way the defense was playing. Um, I think if we have Montreal pinned there, that's probably a very good chance that turns into a score. But uh, I don't know. I, I guess they wanted to see if he could do it. But I, I just don't think – I just don't think that's the play. Even like it's just so unlikely that he's going to kick the ball out at the one. It's just way more likely what happened happened, which is the ball goes into the end zone. So I, I'm not – I'm not totally sold on having the position being given up to the punter. To be honest, um, he, he's gonna—he's certainly gonna have to have a better percentage of balls bouncing out at the five uh, than he did tonight. Now, another way of looking at it is: well, we we did see one go out at the one in preseason, and we've seen him in practice and nail those coffin corners. Now, I know in a game it's it's different, and they they could have either one of those rouges that he got on those long punts could have bounced out of bounds, 
I think he got a bit unlucky with both of those bounces. But let's talk about that roster spot a bit. But first of all, he's a global player. And so having him dressed, yes, you're taking up a roster spot, but you're in a way you're not because you're not necessarily having to fill another position with a different global player. And so I, I do take issue with that a little bit in terms of taking up a roster spot. But if you just look at it as, well, yeah, Boris Beatty was field goals and punting and kickoffs last year. That was just one spot. Wouldn't it be nice to have another old lineman or linebacker or whatever it is, fullback? Uh, but it doesn't really work like that unless the guy you're bringing in is a global player. So I don't think that was, I don't feel like they were missing a different global player today. So that's the reason that I would keep going with, with Haggerty and, and Beattie yeah, doing separate I, jobs. I mean, I think I, I can, I can see that, right. The way the CFL is sort of unique and they don't have another global player worth playing. And I, I can understand that, but I mean, it, it, the, the call to punt there is the wrong call unless he can do it. So he's going to have to be able to do it. And is that an unfair request? Maybe, but you know, this is professional football. If, you know, if he can't have the ball go out consistently around the five, you know, I, I just think then you should not be punting the ball at the 50. I think you just let him be a normal punter. So, you know, I think that's, that's the pressure on them. I think, and on the special teams coaches, that's going to have to become a lot more reliable or they're going to have to change their philosophy um, to to a more aggressive one and not do that, which, you know, basically they gave up a down for 10 yards of field position. I mean, it's, it's you know, it's a shockingly bad play when it doesn't work. Yeah, that it's such a difference coming up to the 40. It just, it, it's only five yards, but it does yeah, make a big difference. You're basically just giving the ball and saying, you know what, we don't want another down. <laughs> yeah for the, in exchange for a, a point but well yeah, and look, i it? mean and hey man i guess who am i to say you know the rouges the rouges carried the day so maybe maybe that's the future i don't think that's the answer let's talk about the defense a little bit uh shane ray oh, was phenomenal so tonight. Good. like he was best, best game or, best game he's played as an argo by a thousand percent yeah, no question. He looked tonight the way Shane Ray looked like when he first arrived in camp last year. I remember my first few days of camp, and I, I just I thought he was unbelievable. I thought there was no one that was going to be able to block him, and then injuries caught up with him. I'm a little worried because it looked like he hurt his hand or his wrist tonight, and he's had he's had forearm problems, wrist problems, hand problems, and there was it was the it was the Montreal touchdown, the quarterback sneak that went for a touchdown. He came up from that play. Uh, holding his wrist or his hand and looked highly irritated as he would be having been through so many injuries uh, to that area. So hopefully he's okay because he was he was on fire oh, tonight. Shot out of a cannon. His his uh, his backside pursuit. You know, honestly, he he backside pursued like uh, you know like a a will linebacker. I mean, he he was he was all over the field. Um, you know, he, yeah, he looked great. Yeah, he was, he was unstoppable tonight. And let's talk about that defense a little bit, because as the game progresses, uh, the, the Argos add another, another rouge on a 53 yard punt. Uh, this one uh, from the Montreal 48, which, you know, is usually a go for it position, but 
Third and 16, you're not going to go for it there. I, I don't wonder why they don't kick a field goal there. We know Boris Beattie can hit a 55-yard field goal. Are they just worried that that might get turned into a Chandler-worthy punt return touchdown if it misses? I don't think so. I think they, they wanted to take their new car for a spin. You know, they got the Aussie, and he's Mr. Kick It Out at the 2. And he does it at practice, and now they want to show everybody what their new toy does. And, you know, Price is Right music. <laughs> it it could be I guess it could be that because like, it would have worked like it would have been beautiful the of defense course. was playing so well that in if they had pinned them inside the five they had him punt uh, a, a punt out at the five would have been fantastic I'm sure the special teams coach um, died inside both times <laughs> so uh, from that, some bad things started to happen. So we already had a lot of guys playing out of position. You had Robert Priester who was playing Sam Backer, which was a new spot for him. And he did remarkably well, considering he he did get he did get beat a couple times. There's one where he he just got beat on a double move near the end of the game and was able to recover to make the play. Um, but uh, I think all in all, for his first attempt at Sam Backer, I thought I thought he played remarkably well. Yeah, I, I thought um, you know I thought that he it, it wasn't a noticeable weakness, um, and and man at linebacker, you know the the improvement over Judge was uh, was pretty. Oh drastic. yeah, Winton McManus was he Winton McManus was such. A difference maker today, and I like Cam Judge, and I think he's probably. He, well, I think I, I, well, I think Wynn McManus might have, was probably the best player on the on the field. I mean, with due respect to to Ray. Yeah, no, he and he might have been. Uh, he was so solid back there, and you know, Judge was so disappointing in Toronto last year because he got hurt and he just was never looked the same. He had a bit of a rough game in Calgary last week too, so maybe you know, maybe he won't bounce back. I don't know, but. Man, Winton McManus and Enoch Mwamba together are a deadly pair of linebackers. And they made up for a lot of the flaws that existed elsewhere on the defense. And the next one, we, we said coming to this game, there's two things that can't happen. And those were you cannot have a tackle go down because the Argos already missing Cage. Isaiah Cage was out with a head injury. He wasn't cleared to play. And also missing Jamal Peters and generally short in the defensive backfield, they could not lose a tackle, they could not lose a DB. That was the the two musts coming into this. And don't the Argos go and lose both of those things in the first half? So let's talk first about the defensive loss. Uh, Robertson Daniel goes down with an injury and it... I. You know we don't we don't know the extent of it, but it it, it didn't look good. It, just the fact that he wasn't able to put any pressure on his leg as they got him off the field, um, you know that's never a good sign. And they were in a real mess at that point. So they I thought they might bring in Matt Boateng to play corner. Instead, they brought in Caleb Holden initially to play boundary half, and they slid Shaq Richardson over to the corner spot. But then a few plays later, they flipped those guys, and Caleb Holden uh, he. He looked pretty lost uh, out there because it was a, it's just a position he hasn't been practicing and he really wasn't, I don't think, expected to play today. Um, but there were pretty much every long pass that happened in the first or in the, in the second and third quarter was a bust that happened on Shaq and Holden's side. And I got to think that's just Holden um, with a miscommunication, thinking he had help and he didn't, vice versa. Yeah, I mean, it, it was hard to tell, right? Like it, it seemed like... Um, 
you know, whether it was it was two or three, um, you know, it seemed like he felt like he had, you know, like essentially he passed off his receiver and kept underneath like like you would in two. Um, but you know, he, you can't, you can't do that when the, the route is being run along the sideline, even, you know, he's, he's got to know that if that's what they were in, but, you know, but clearly there was some miscommunication there where Shaq's not going to be able to cover a sideline route in two. Uh, you got to carry that route down the, down the field. But, uh, yeah, the, on the same, on the same, it looked like the same defensive bust twice, like the same, misunderstanding so that was that was a bit unfortunate but he had a nice breakup in the red zone um, yeah and he had a he had a really nice tackle near the end of the game yeah, too that was yeah, clutch not bad i mean considering how deep deep down the depth chart they were i thought i thought i thought he did okay and then the other loss was uh dejon allen who was playing right tackle and was ejected from the game he was he was thrown out of the game for what looked to me, and again, we don't have the advantage of TV replay. Maybe you listening at home saw it on TV and saw that there was way more to it. it JB, I didn't see much there in this tussle that happened after a play. He got into, you know, it, what looked sort of like just, you know, come on, okay, break it up, guys, break it up, uh, shoving match uh, with the the Mac linebacker from see, uh, it, was it Watson, right? It seemed it seemed harsh for a game that was not in any way chippy. Um, so it wasn't like the referees were trying to whip control back or, or really kind of rein things in. Um, yeah, I mean, look, there was a, a stomp, there was some pushing, um, I don't know. To me, I think you're, you're given penalties and you're giving a warning. I, I didn't in either side, I, I didn't think either player, uh, deserved to be thrown out of the game, but. Um, the, you know, one, once they threw the Montreal player out, it was going to be pretty hard to to not throw the Toronto player out unless they did nothing. Yeah, and I would have been a fan of just nothing, offsetting offsetting uh, majors on that and and warning to both sidelines, warning both teams, whatever. But yeah, yeah I, I think that, that would have been the better way to handle it, especially with the tone of that game. I don't I don't know where why those referees reacted so so strongly to it. So Shane Richards ends up coming into play right tackle, and that's not a spot he's played a lot. Actually, I do like Richards as a tackle, but he's been asked to play guard all last season. That was sort of what he's been built for. And there he is out at right tackle. And I was worried when when McLeod took that sack. Do you remember the one where he just got pile-drived six feet into the ground? Uh, it was the hardest hit he took all night, and it came from the end on Richards' side. I oh, thought when, right when, away. When Usher hit him? Yeah, when when, oh when when the Undertaker hit him, it, it 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 was, oh, like there was a reaction in the stadium. Everyone was just like, Whoa. yeah. I mean, I mean, he, you know, if you're a defensive player, you, you <laughs> dream of a lick like that on a quarterback. I mean, he just he hit know, him so hard. He hit him so hard. I mean, it, you know, I, we can talk about concussion protocol, but yeah, that was that was not a great. Uh, you know, I don't know who's. I don't know who had the shift or whether, you know, he was supposed to, you know, the that the, the, the tackle was supposed to come inside and then the guard outside. I don't know what their scheme was, but it was definitely his side. I think so. Initially, I thought it must be Richard's fault. But in watching the replay that I saw on the scoreboard, it looked like they had called a slide to the left because Richard's, you know, he saw the guy. The guy was, It's not like he came out of nowhere. The end was just to his right. 
but he didn't pick him up. He instead picked up the the D tackle that was just to his left side, and it left Bladek with nobody to block. Bladek basically just stood there, you know, who who do I block? And you know, the end came around and, and crushed uh, MBT. But yeah, we don't know exactly was that supposed to be was that you know was that supposed to be a kick out from from inside was. Was Richards given the wrong uh, call? Was the call just sort of messed up from from the center in the first place? We don't know. Um, but it didn't, uh, on the replay, it didn't look like it was Richards' fault. But after that play, I thought he actually handled himself very well. And yeah. a game that could have gone sideways because of him having to be in there at tackle didn't. None of the stuff that went wrong with the offense later in the game, I put on him. No, he he, um, he held his own. It was not an issue of, of being a turnstile. So right at the end of the first half, the Argos get a 29-yard field goal from Beattie. Uh, and the Alouettes trying to do something with just, I think it was 15 seconds left when they got the ball back. And they're trying to make something happen. And Trevor Harris is now in the game. Maybe we should talk about that in a second. But Trevor Harris throws a, a, a pass to nobody in particular. Gets picked off by Traveris McFadden, uh, who makes what I thought was a highly intelligent play. So McFadden catches the interception with, I don't know, maybe like seven or eight seconds left. And it was the kind that turn into pick sixes. But as he's running it back down the sideline, he realizes that a couple different Montreal Alouettes have an angle on him and he's looking up at the scoreboard to see the time left and this was just such a smart play instead of trying to force himself to the end zone and running out of time uh Ottawa Redblacks take note um he stepped out of bounds he waited till he got as far as he could and then with one second left he stepped out of bounds knowing now that BD could attempt a field goal he makes it from 38 and that that's the difference in the game like that BD field goal off Tavares McFadden's interception and intelligent sideline play is the difference in this game so that was a, a huge moment for me yeah well i mean you know spoiler alert that was my play of the game um, that is also my play but, of the game oh, so we should talk uh, about that's this. a double double spoiler alert but let's talk about things before the podcast um, yeah we, we may want to communicate uh yeah no i thought it was um you know i thought that that was that was such a smart play and uh you know i don't know i mean it's it's tough too monday you know we we i'm sure the argos prepared all week we did ocdc for vernon adams and then trevor harris comes in and you know that's always a possibility uh but it's hard when you have a quarterback now who's got a different skill set and is going to be looking to run different plays and um you know i thought they did a pretty good job of of adapting to to Trevor Harris and and maybe that was the plan all along um you know that that they wanted to to throw a wrinkle at the Argos and give them a quarterback that that they had not uh, game plan for because it, it I, I there wasn't anything I thought Vernon Adams did that made me think he should be pulled he, he simply was Vernon Adams I don't know Maybe they just suddenly decided that Vernon Adams was not their quarterback, but uh, I, I, there certainly was nothing egregious um, that he did. That 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 I he thought didn't have a very long deserved. leash. He... No, it seemed predetermined. Like it seemed like we're going to put this guy out here, and now we're going to switch it up, and we're going to try and uh, you know we're going to try and catch you off guard with a quarterback who's got a different skill set than you prepared for. 
Yeah, Adams went two for four for 14 yards, no touchdowns, no interceptions. And then they're like, nope, you're out of there. Um, unless there's an injury that we didn't know about, uh, something like that. But it didn't seem like that's what happened. I asked Wendell McManus after the game if they had prepared at all for Trevor Harris. And he said they had. Um, they said basically a, a quarterback, the quality of Trevor Harris, you always have to wonder if something sure. might happen, if he might get in the game. And so they did spend time preparing for him. But Harris had a much better game than I was expecting him to. He finished 18 of 30. Uh, for 270 um, you know he didn't it wasn't the best game ever but it was still better than I thought and I'm sure see. they did but everybody you know there's only I mean as any coach would tell you there's there's never enough practice time you know so y- you might be like okay we're gonna run this we're gonna run this we're, let's run five Trevor Harris plays you know and <laughs> but he, you're not you're not preparing for both quarterbacks equally there's just there's just not enough time in in the day Let's talk about some of the rushing that we saw from Andrew Harris in that first half, because he was the story of the first half for the offense. For me, they only, you know, they had 11 points, but, and that was disappointing because it probably should have been about 25, but I I was really impressed with what I saw from Andrew Harris. Yeah. I mean, you know, I said to you, well, he he ought to be good. You know, he's been sitting on blocks uh, all preseason, but he came out and looked like the real deal. Um, he ran heavy. He ran hard. He ran like no Argos running back in living memory. Um, the team got a jolt from him. Uh, he essentially drove the team down the field on that opening drive. Uh, he caught the ball out of the backfield. Um, I think he loosened up that run defense so that when they brought in, you know, Adeboye, um, you know, he 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 felt like he could he could do a little bit of damage too. Um, I just hope the injury is, is not, you know, not not a serious one. Obviously, old running backs and injuries are a terrible mix. But he looked fantastic. I, I you know, I I thought the I didn't think they actually did enough play action off him. You know, they basically went like Harris, 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 Harris. Take a break. Yeah, I was waiting for that too. He he ended up with eighty-seven yards rushing. He added another 23 yards receiving. I I thought the interior line was blocking extremely well for him. And I actually thought Declan Cross did a really nice job sort of hook blocking or or eight blocking the the end and and allowing Harris those cutbacks, which we just haven't really seen backs take advantage of. Plays that were designed to run up the middle. Last year, when there were middle runs, which there weren't a lot of, you would see the running back go plowing into the line. And here, when it wasn't there... Harris would bounce it outside and he had some of his biggest runs on plays like that. So it was great. It was just refreshing to see a back like that in the backfield. Yeah. I, I really hope he's good to go because um, I think the, the, the potential to, to incorporate him into, into an offense um, has yet to be explored by the, by the Argos. Yeah, I, I'm more worried about him than Coach Dinwiddie seemed to be. Uh, we asked about that after the game. Uh, it was He felt tightness in his hamstring, and so they decided to sit him at that point, and that's why Adebaboye was was finishing the game. Uh, and, and basically why they sort of stopped running uh, the football uh, when, once he came out. I just get nervous. Even though Coach Dinwiddie didn't seem to be concerned, it was just tightness. You know, it's not like he needed to be carted off or anything like that. But older football player, hamstring injury, 
you know, you look at Eric Rogers, um, you know, who's who's had all sorts of hamstring injuries and leg injuries that have kept him out for six weeks at a time. I just hope we're not looking at Andrew Harris going on the six-game injury list after this game. Well, I think, too, I think that, you know, much like Chester last year, um, you've got to have Harris on a hard run cap. You know, if you want him to be useful in November and December, you know, as much as you want to, I mean, you just can't have him carry the ball 18 times, in my opinion. You know, like he, he's not going to be able to carry the ball 20 times, 20 to 25 times for 18 games. You know, there, there's not going to be anything left. Um, so that that is a challenge, I think, that's before them is they're going to have to find a way to, to, to keep his engine running and to keep him part of things but also like you know running back mileage is a real deal and uh you want him to be great in november not not you know july <laughs> yeah and i i think this might have been i i i think this was the game plan but i don't think this is the game plan for the season just to pound andrew harris uh to death i i think this was a reaction to the receivers being thrown about with very little notice. I really think they felt this week, I, I think they felt like Eric Rodgers was going to play because suddenly you had Brandon Banks playing X, which he's never really played before. I asked him after the game, like, when's the last time you played X? And and he couldn't remember playing X before. And he said he, he had trouble with it, that he really didn't feel that comfortable uh, out wide. And so that's something that they're going to have to find an answer to for, for next week. Uh, if, you know, if you've got one of a, a guy that's supposed to be one of your best receivers in, in banks, not feeling comfortable in the spot that he's lining up in, then we've got to move some pieces around and maybe Devaris Daniels, who didn't have a huge game. Maybe he goes back to X. Maybe Ambles can come over and play W. He played W in Calgary last year. And then maybe Speedy B can, can play that Y or R spot, the spots that he's been repping again and again and again. So I, I just don't, I don't really know why they moved everyone around the way they did and um you know i think that did impact how much running we saw and the use of harris yeah uh, i think they're definitely gonna have to and i'm sure they were excited to use harris right i mean they hadn't really used him he's a new free agent signing i'm sure he was keen to get in there and get some real football um you know i i, I don't know what the magic number is but you know back to the Kawhi days the regular season is about load management and 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 getting sharp for the games that matter in the second half it was a bit of role reversal because the toronto offense had their best drive of the game to start the second half they looked amazing so you had that deep pass a couple first of all a couple of nice runs from harris deep pass uh to marquita ambles i think it was a 30 35 37 yard pass um down the sideline and then bethel thompson hits brandon banks on a slant Banks does one of his Banksy kind of moves where he ducks under a tackle, fights off a tackle, makes his way into the end zone. Um, that was a, that was a beautiful moment. The crowd exploded, and I've got to say, for you know what was not a huge crowd, twelve thousand four hundred plus, they were loud tonight. And when Banks scored that touchdown, BMO erupted, and I thought the the fans that were there were doing more than their fair share. People that were watching on TV thought it was a much bigger crowd. I've received yeah. a bunch of comments from that. No, people I, saying, I, I, so did I, I, I mean, my guess was 15. I was there. I thought it was 15,000. Um, you know, um, 
you know, Thursday night sucks. I mean, it would have been nice if it had been on a Friday night. That probably Well, why are we opening on a Thursday? Why is it opening night on a Thursday in a market that you know struggles to draw people? What's the CFL doing putting a Toronto Argonauts opener on a Thursday night? It's just, to me, it doesn't make any sense. No, I mean... Yeah, I mean, I'm sure Tannenbaum and MLSE threw their phone across the room while debating with somebody standing in a cow pasture about the schedule. Um, you know, I mean, I wrote an article three years ago about improving, you know, fan uh, interaction. And I mean, you, you, you have to have a football night. Like you can't have like footballs on five separate nights. You're like, well, how how are you supposed to develop a routine with fans when when you know you they've got to do a better job? I mean, this is all an offshoot, but the league has to do a better job of having certain teams play at the same time every week, so you can build a schedule around it. So it's it's something that you want to do. It's not like this week the Argos play at eleven thirty on Wednesday, and you're like, what? Who? How, how you know, and then then they play Sunday at three, and then the next week is Thursday at nine, and you're like, okay, sure, sure, you know that's that's not the way to build, um, you know, a routine. A family likes to do it. Oh, this is what we do on this day. So, that yeah, that was really disappointing that there wasn't um, a Friday kickoff game, uh, but like you say, the crowd was great. It was loud. Uh, it was a perfect day. Um, no thunderstorm. You know, it, it's. It's a shame that there weren't another ten thousand people there because, uh, you know, I think they would have they would have really enjoyed it much more than say watching the Blue Jays lose to the worst team in baseball. Uh, this <laughs> yes, afternoon. probably so. I bet. So the defense kind of flipped in the second half as well. So we saw that nice drive from the Toronto offense. The defense was on the field for four different drives in the second half, and they didn't force a single punt. Every one of those drives went on and on and on. You had you know, a 10-play drive followed by an 8-play drive. What's happening in the second half? Uh, heat. It was hot. Yeah. And the air was hot. And this was the first game. And I'm not so sure that the defense necessarily had their legs under them for a full... I mean, a lot of those guys hadn't played a full game yet, right? Like a lot of the starters. Yeah. Um, I, th- I think it... I think uh, football shape caught up to them in the second half. And, you know, there were some really bad missed tackles and definitely some some grabbing of the knees uh, to get your breath after plays. Um, you know, I thought they gutted it out. Um, but uh, for sure, I, I thought that the defense looked, you know, looked gassed in that second half, um, especially after being so, so good in the first half. Um, so that you know, I it was nice that they were able to, um, you know, to hold it. But first, you know, like their pass rush got a little sloppy. They didn't have lane discipline. Um, you know, they would have a nice rush, but then the quarterback was able to escape for ten yards a couple of times. Uh, I was not crazy about their zone defense. Um, you know, and how like that zone never seemed to turn into man. It just stayed stayed in zone. Uh, regardless of where people ran. So, um, you know, I think that'll improve as the season goes on. Guys get their football legs under them. Um, You know, uh, I think, and the offense stays on, but there wasn't a huge disparity. I don't, I don't blame the offense there. You know, it wasn't like Montreal had the ball for 45 minutes. Um, You know, I I think that's just guys getting in shape. 
I asked about fatigue. Uh, Winton McManus is the guy I asked, I think, and he he didn't want to acknowledge that that, that was a thing. He said it was adjustments that were the issue. Uh, Montreal's second half adjustments that sort of uh, caught them. But I, I just think... I think when he looks at the game film and he sees the missed tackles and the guys just, you know, breathing heavy, like you said, uh, you know, there may have been some adjustments they struggled with too, but this was, there's no question, this was a tired defense by the end of the game. Yeah. I mean, it was, you, you could see it, you know, because the, they were there and they just couldn't make the tackle on, on a number of plays. Boris Beattie didn't miss field goals last year. And in this one, he missed his last two. Now, one of them's from 45. That's that's a long field goal. But, uh, you know, he, he missed a short field goal, too, and that is not very Beattie-like. And so I, I guess the question is, I think 26 was the, the other one he missed. Is this a reason for concern at this point, to have a kicker that really didn't miss last year suddenly missing? No, I, I, don't, I don't think so. Um, I, I didn't get a great look at, at the kick he missed. I, I was looking for the replay. It, it sounded terrible. Um, it sounded like a really bad miss hit, um, so I, I'd like to take a look at it. But uh, I, I don't, I don't think so. I think he, he, you know, he he hit some, he missed some. You know, last year was a season for the ages. You know, I, I don't think you can expect him to come out and repeat a season like that. I think you're, you know, you're looking a little regression, but a little regression's fine. He's still, you know, <laughs> he's still not Swayze. You know, I mean, think back to the times we've had. Um, you know, I'm I'm fully behind Boris Beattie. Yeah, no, I am too. I, I wonder if having a new holder has come into play or if that may not be anything at all. But I think when you start missing, you start to ask questions. Maybe he's wondering, is it having Haggerty holding for me instead of Bethel Thompson? Do you think we see Bethel Thompson back out there holding next week? <laughs> I, I hope not. Um, I hope not too. I, I don't think so. I mean, I know kickers can be a little superstitious about that stuff, but give it, I would say give it some time. You know, let's let's... If we get to the third game and he's only kicking fifty percent, we might we might be worried, but I think I think it'll be fine. At the very end of the game, Montreal has a mammoth drive. They score a touchdown. The defense was just uh, gassed at that stage. They go for two. They don't get it. Toronto's now up twenty eighteen uh, with uh, just or sorry, it was, yeah, it was twenty eighteen uh, with with just a few minutes remaining uh and they 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 give the ball back to toronto and this is where you want to see toronto put together a drive it's a two-point game you've got a couple of minutes left we're under the three-minute warning you've you've got to put something together here uh and they can't they end up punting the ball back to montreal montreal goes all the way down the field and it looked over with 18 seconds left to go montreal calls a timeout on third and seven they're on the seven yard line. No, they're on the 17 yard line, I think. And no, it's the 13 yard line. There we go. Third time's a charm. They're on the 13 yard line. They call a timeout. Uh, and I was thinking at that moment, now I still thought this field goal would go, would go through, but I don't call a timeout there. I hate, I hate coaches calling a timeout when their, their own kicker is out there. So they send out the field goal unit his field goal kicker is lining up to kick a field goal. They wait. They let the clock run right down to one. And then Kari Jones calls a timeout. 
to me, that's icing your own oh. kicker. If you're going to call a timeout there, then don't send him out. Right. You know, keep the offense out there. Wait for the clock to go down. Terrible. Now call your timeout and then send him out. That's that's brutal. No, I would kill a coach for that. Like in terms of my report card, I mean, it, you just don't do that. You just like you just can't send him out there. Like, what are you doing? Just have your offense stay on the field and then get down to one second and call timeout and bring the field goal kicker out. Like, why on earth would you bring your field goal kicker out and not use him and then freeze him? Um, yeah, I, I, you know, I think he's got to wear that. I don't, there's no there's no two ways about it. That was, that, was, um, that was some dumb football. And he misses the 21-yard field goal left to get the rouge. And the score ends up 20 to 19. It reminded me of so many different things. Remember the BC game last year that should have been a Toronto loss and their kicker just completely fell to pieces at the end. And what about the win over Hamilton last year? 16-15, I think it was, where the convert went off the upright after Arbuckle almost threw the game away. And Toronto wins on that one. We actually asked uh, Speedy Banks about that after the game, if he remembered that one. He remembered it very well. So um, <laughs> he look, said it was nice to be on the other side of that. The problem for Montreal, Montreal's 0-2 now. Yeah. And their owner apparently trouble. is going to fire them all because they were unable <laughs> to do both. So that's a problem for Montreal. Um, you know, in turn, Now, they haven't played a home game yet, but um, they're digging themselves a bit of a hole. Yeah, they're in trouble. And if you look at the East standings right now, like Toronto, Toronto was in first place before this game because all three East teams lost last week. They've won now. Montreal is 0-2. There's a lot of pressure this week on the the other East teams. Hamilton's facing a tremendous amount of pressure playing Calgary now because you don't want to be 0-2 and Toronto's already running away with it. And they've only played one game, a game that they, you know, probably shouldn't have won at the end there. So, yeah, I, I think there's there's a lot of pressure. And Ottawa's playing Winnipeg again. So you could find the situation come, you know, come Monday morning that you've still got a winless East except for Toronto. That wouldn't be out of the realm of possibility at all. JB, let's go through our plays of the game and our player of the game. So we may have already blown our play of the game. So it, it's got to be that McFadden pick and step out of bounds. That's what you're sticking with? Well, actually, just just as an aside, do you know who Montreal's third and fourth games are against? No, I haven't looked at their schedule. Saskatchewan. Both? Both, back to back. All right, well, see you, Montreal. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Au revoir. Um, All right. Yeah, yeah, we did ruin the. You know, I I I thought there wasn't. Um, I mean, the bank slant play could easily be. I I was happy to see that in the second half. Um, I thought that there should have been way more of that in the first half mixed in. I think that you know those sort of inside the hash throws are what he excels at. Um, in terms of Macbeth and you know Banks, that's what you want. You want Banks catching that ball on the run in space. That is what he does. You know, you don't want him catching balls out on the boundary like Rogers, like where he's got nowhere to go. That's not his. It's not his skill set. So, um, you know, I, I think it could be the Banks catch, um, the Harris play, everybody loved where he jumped over the tackle. But the game turned on that interception and field goal. I re- it felt like it. It felt like the Argos were going to win that game after that. R- just terrible pick by Harris. Just terrible like just throwing to no one um you know you love to see it 
<laughs> I did love to see it, but I just thought the the stepping out of bounds part for me is what clinched yep. it as such Smart. a beautiful play. And then play. BD came in, and then he's ice, right? Perfect, just yeah. crushed it. Yeah, and maybe he needs you know maybe he needs the pressure or the you know the the situation. I don't know what it is. No, but, it, was, it uh, was exactly how good teams win football games because stupid teams make mistakes. Players of the game, JB. Who are you going to go with for your offensive player of the game? Um. I, I think the offensive player of the game has to be Harris. Um, he was absolutely electric when he came on the field. Uh, he looked like no other Argo I can remember. Um, you know, he was powerful. He was he was ready. Uh, the crowd loved it. The team loved it. He went out there, was, you know, getting four or five yards a carry, um, catching the ball out of the backfield. He obviously wanted to be fed. Uh, he looked fantastic. He looked He looked amazing. I, I would typically go with Harris as well, but just to be different, I'm going to say Shane Richards just for coming in in that scenario. He played most of the game. Uh, remember, this was early in the second quarter when he had to come in and, and you know play the rest of the football game. He hasn't been getting reps at, at tackle and to step in there and largely run a problem-free and, in fact, effective uh, game at tackle, I thought I thought was great. So he that, that could have gone so poorly. And instead, he played really well. And, uh, you know, you got to give him credit for that. So I'll say Shane Richards, although I, I think Andrew Harris is, you know, probably makes a bit more sense. You know, I'm going to give a shout out too to Curly Gittins Jr. Uh, he was my guy last year a bunch of times. I, I, I just I just can't get enough of that dude. He is such he's just a professional wide receiver. He just goes out there. He, he does the job. He catches the ball. Um, not a lot of fancy plays, not a lot of huge plays, but. You know, absolutely a rock for the Argos, um, and he's going to break one of those Ricky Collin Memorial um, screenplays. Um, hey, he, he, he you know, six... look, he looked. I thought he looked fantastic last year, and he right back to work. He had six catches on eight targets for sixty-six yards, and there could have been another one. That beautiful catch he made. Uh, late in the game where it looked like he may have tapped his toe down but then uh, you could see on on the replay that uh, his toe came down uh, just out of bounds but that that was you know a stunning effort on his part yeah he's 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 awesome how is how nice is it to have a canadian receiver like that well, playing at that level doesn't get the hype either you know really because he's not you know he's not he's not scoring three touchdowns a game but uh man he's great where are you going for defensive player of the game? Uh, it was nice. You know, look, um, there were uh, a bunch of guys that played really well. Like we talked about, I thought Ray looked uh, like he was shot out of a cannon. And more than just pass rush, you know, the backside chase down. Uh, Moamba looked awesome with his, uh, apparently, I don't know if the Argos are going to go with this guitar solo after they announce his plays. I'd be down with that if, if that's something they're trying out. Uh, you've got a yes vote from this fan um, for the electric guitar sound effect for Moamba. Um, but I'm going to have to go with uh, Winton McManus, um, the anti-judge. He, he came in <laughs> and just balled out. He crushed some poor Alouette in the red zone. Um, you know, he had a sack. Uh, he was all over the field. I thought he was... Um, uh, you know, not a revelation because I think we both felt that he was going to be a good player. Like, he great, great addition. I mean, if he, you know, uh, 
plug him into that defense, I thought the linebacker crew really, really looked sharp. And just like Enoch Mwamba did last year, Winter McManus brought his baby to the press conference, which is a great strategy to soften the questions from the reporters. Because, uh, you know, what are you going to say when when a player is standing there with their baby? Uh, ultimately, the questions... Well, the end baby up... deserved it because dad balled out. Oh, yeah. No, he played, he played a great game. So uh, I'm going to give my defensive player of the game to Shane Ray. I, I just... I was waiting for this. I've been waiting for yep. this for a year and and it was a great game and, and part of me I think is slightly worried that we may not see him for a bit. I hope that's not the case. I hope I hope he's just fine. Uh maybe it's just like a jammed finger or something like that, but uh yeah, he he looked excellent especially in that first half. And so, I, and I yeah. love the pursuit, you know, like not just you know, running the hoop and then going 6 yards deep on the quarterback and then catching your breath, uh which occasionally pass rush specialists do you know he tracked guys down like a linebacker it was great to see well that will just about do it for us on this episode of the x's and argos podcast check out jb's report card tomorrow on x's and argos.com and we'll have all sorts of stuff coming to you this week jb if you think this week was a late one do you know who the argos play next week <laughs> i do I will be out in BC and it will just be about 10.30 for me but JB, it is going to be the middle of the night when we record our next post-game reaction podcast. Let me just say this to the Argos is you better play well or I am going to be acetylene torching. That's all I can say is my my, the the margin of error for me will be very thin at 2 in the morning. For JB, this is Ben Grant saying so long, and may all your pre-snap reads be good ones. I'll see ya. Go Toronto Argos, go, go, go. Pull together, fight the 